So today uh, we're in part three of our series uh, called Full of It for the Holidays. And if you haven't been here, I encourage you to go back and check out maybe what you missed because we're talking about how to make this season uh, the most wonderful holiday season perhaps you've ever had or a happier holiday season than what you've recently had. And to discover how to make this season so wonderful that it actually spills over into all the other seasons of the year. We've talked about if you wanna make this season wonderful, be grateful. Uh, last week we talked about if you wanna make this season wonderful, uh, be faithful, be full of faith, be full of trust that the God who makes the promise is gonna be the God who keeps the promise. Uh, before we uh, jump into the content for today though, I do wanna welcome our Somerset campus. I appreciate all of y'all being there and our Bell County campus and of course, Williamsburg. But specifically for you, Williamsburg, uh, December 17th, you need to put it on your calendar because uh, it's a big day. We're gonna be making a big announcement, an exciting announcement uh, that Sunday that you're not going to want to miss. So December 17th, Williamsburg, be sure to be there because you don't want to miss it. Now, uh, let me start here today and let me ask you a question. Um, do you ever feel like your life, do you ever feel like your life or do you ever just feel like life in general, but specifically, do you ever feel like your life has more than its fair share of chaos? Uh, maybe to ask it another way, uh, do you ever feel like your life is a bit disordered? Um, do you ever feel like your life is completely uh, disorganized? Uh, does your life ever feel ransacked by the unpredictable, by the unforeseen, and by the uncontrollable? Um, if, if someone set you down and they were a good friend of yours and they said, hey, would you tell me about your life? And, and if you were being really, really honest, I mean, just being transparently honest, um, would you characterize your life as calm or as turbulent? Uh, how would you describe it? Do you feel like on most days and most weeks that things are just completely frantic, uh, that your schedule, the kid's schedule, the family dynamic, it's jumbled, it's frenzied, uh, it's full of commotion and almost to the point sometimes of being unmanageable. Um, I think if I were a betting man, I would be willing to wager that for many of you and many of us, if not for most of us, uh, we would say that our life has a certain amount of chaos at work in it at any given time. Uh, because here's the thing about chaos. Chaos is inevitable. Uh, the facts of life are this. Uh, it doesn't matter how organized you are. Some of you are very organized. Uh, some of you are very forward thinking, but it doesn't matter how forward thinking that you are. Some of you are very anal, OCD, uh, detailed. You dot every I, you cross every T. You research things beyond what is reasonable or even sane before you pull the trigger, before you make a decision. And, and, and you do your very best to insulate yourself and to protect yourself from chaos. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how organized, how anal, how forward-thinking you are, doesn't matter. You cannot insulate yourself. You cannot eliminate the inevitability of chaos when it comes to life. And if it's inevitable in life, sooner or later, it's inevitable for your life. You say, well, how can you be sure? Uh, because some of you, you are so confident in your abilities uh, that you think you can ward off chaos. So how do you know that it's inevitable? How do you know it's unavoidable? Because in a world where we lack absolute control, and some of you are like, what? I don't have absolute control? No, you don't. It's just an illusion. In a world where we lack absolute control, sooner or later, chaos creeps in. And this is especially true, unfortunately true, uh, 
glaringly true during the holidays. And just not the holidays, it's true every day of the year, but it's especially palpable during the holidays. Uh, because during the holidays, uh, there are people we can't control. Did you know that? There's people we can't control. We can't control who they are. We can't control what they do. We can't control what they say. We can't control how they act. We can't control their attitude. We can't control their disposition. Sure, sure, we would change them if we could. And we have been praying for them to invite us into their life and say, would you change me? Would you just make me what I need to be to please you and to accommodate you and to set your world right? We would love that. But you know what? We would change them if we could, but we can't. Uh, there's some people during the holidays we wish we could avoid, you know, family, some of the family, we wish we could avoid them, but they're family and we can't. They're going to be there. Uh, we didn't invite them, but somebody else invited them because they just knew that it wouldn't be right to not have them there. And you're thinking it would have been more right than it's ever been before had they not been there. Uh, because there they are, you can't control them. And there's a certain amount of chaos that ensues. Uh, they anger us, they annoy us, they unsettle us, they frustrate us, uh, they derail us emotionally, uh, they unsettle things. Uh, but the thing about it is, in the end, there's nothing we can do. There's just some people we can't control. And because of it, there is the possibility and the inevitability of chaos. And then there's situations that we can't control this time of year and, and really all year long. There's family dynamics uh, that we can't control. Uh, there's ex-wives, uh, there's ex-husbands, there's in-laws, there's those family members that are a little bit weird, a little bit goofy with the crazy politics that makes us want to jump off a building without a helmet on. There's sibling rivalries, there's petty jealousies, there's family divisions, you know, that side doesn't really jive with that side but they kind of have to meet, you know, once or twice a year. There's old family wounds that have never healed, uh, that everybody pretends like they're not there, but everybody knows they're there. And everybody just mutually agrees to pretend uh, that no one is going to acknowledge the reality that there's big, big family wounds that have never healed and everybody's just gonna go on. And you can't control that situation. There's passive aggressive comments right? During the holidays, there's the cold shoulder. Hey, how are you doing? There's cold shoulders, there's drama, there's kids, there's work, there's health challenges, there's demanding schedules. You know, we got to go here, we got to go there. If we don't do this, if we don't do that. And, and it's really just situations beyond our control. And because of that, there's the possibility for chaos. And then there's expectations that we can't control and really we can't compete with. Well, I, I thought you'd just stay longer. What do you mean you can't come? And it's like, I told you I wasn't coming. I told you I couldn't stay. And it's just like, you know, people have these expectations, you know, that we just can't control, we can't compete with. And you put it all together. You can't control people. You can't control situations. You can't control expectations. And there's just a certain amount of inevitable, unavoidable chaos because of it, because chaos is just part of life. And that brings me uh, to something that won't interest you, but I think it should, and it's called the chaos theory. Uh, it, it's a part of science and it's a part of mathematics and simplified, the chaos theory says that within apparent randomness, 
out there in the science world, the cellular world, uh, in nature, in the cosmos, even in, in our own body, within the apparent randomness and, and what seems unpredictable and what seems uncontrollable. Um, in the midst of all that jumbled chaos, in the midst of the frenzy and the commotion uh, that we call chaos, there's actually underlying patterns. When you look at it long enough, the jumbled, the commotion, uh, the chaotic, there's actually underlying patterns to it. Everything is seemingly interconnected and there's feedback loops. And then within the paradox of it all is within the chaos and within the unpredictability and within the commotion, there actually begins to be predictability. And not only does there become the ability to predict what's gonna happen, there's also beauty in it. And not only beauty, but there is discernible meaning. Or as one particular scientist said, that chaos always has a story to tell. And oftentimes in the end, it's more ordered than what we ever expected that story to be. Uh, one person described the chaos theory as the science of surprises, or it, it's just a way of thinking where you expect the unexpected, which is not a bad way uh, to live life because you should expect the unexpected because sooner or later the unexpected will happen. But by the very nature of the word unexpected, it's impossible to expect the unexpected and be 100% accurate. So, you know, in understanding chaos, uh, chaos is almost always inextricably connected to change. And change is always part of transformation. Uh, change of any kind, change of any kind, uh, creates a ripple in the fabric of life. And depending on the size of the change, that will be dependent on the ripple that ensues out of that change. And that ripple and the repercussions of that ripple is, is what we refer to as chaos in, in, the, in the truest sense of the word. Things are unsettled. There's a ripple in the fabric of life. Uh, at the heart of the chaos theory, and this is all gonna make sense in just a moment, so stick with me just a minute. At the heart of it, it says small changes can have massive effects over time. Um, or say it another way, I like this, this way better. Small differences can make all the difference. Small differences can make all the difference. Um, it happens in the science world, the biological world. Uh, we see it happening in the genetic world. We see it happening in space and in cosmology. Uh, this is called the butterfly effect. Uh, and the butterfly effect, I know you thought, I came to church today, not class. Just stick with me for just a moment. It's called the butterfly effect. And the idea of the butterfly effect, it rests on the notion that everything in the world is deeply interconnected. It is, it's interconnected in ways that obviously we can't see with the naked eye. Uh, so one particular MIT professor, a guy by the name of Professor Lorenz, he, he wrote a paper back in the 1960s and he asked this question, could the flapping of a butterfly's wing actually cause a tornado somewhere else? And it's like, well, that seems absolutely insane. But he begins to trace it out. And, and the idea is that something seemed seemingly random, insignificant, unpredicted, uncontrolled can lead to very consequential outcomes. And you know this to be true because you've experienced this. One interaction with someone, one conversation, one reaction, one action, one mistake, one opportunity, one decision can create a change that ensues a ripple, that at the end of that ripple can lead to some absolutely massive consequences. Let me give you an example. Henry Tandy. Let me ask you a question. How many has ever heard the name Henry Tandy before? I'm just curious. 
All right, great. I love telling folks something they don't know. This is great. Uh, Henry Tandy represents this to an absolute T. Uh, he was fighting in France in World War I in 1918. And as he was on the front, uh, he had a German soldier in his sight. And it was completely at his discretion to pull the trigger or not pull the trigger. And, and for whatever reason, some unexplicable reason, a reason that he could never really articulate, even though he had this one particular German soldier in his sight and he could have taken this guy's life, this German soldier's life was in Henry Tandy's hand. But for some reason, he passed on the shot and the soldier was Adolf Hitler. And one decision which seemed insignificant in the moment inexplicable in the moment, not even knowing why did I even make that decision when he reflected back on it years later. That decision obviously would affect millions upon millions upon millions of people. This, this is what I'm talking about, the chaos theory. This is the butterfly effect or hypothetical, you forget to set your alarm, you oversleep 15 minutes. Um, when you see the doors open throughout the rest of the service, these are the people that I'm talking about. Uh, they forgot to set their alarm and they overslept 15 minutes and they got up and they hurried and it was a frenzy and it was jumbled, and it was a commotion and they tried to get ready and then they were putting their makeup on in the car or they were still putting their shoes on in the car and they were driving faster than they should. And then they had a wreck and they were either seriously injured or worse, someone's killed all because of something as insignificant as forgetting to set the alarm. Again, this is how something small can have a big effect. Uh, James Clear wrote a book on atomic habits and, and he, he sums it up perfectly. He says, if you were able to improve by 1% each day for an entire year, then you would end up 37 times better at the end of the year. If you were to get 1% worth worse, you would whittle yourself almost down to zero. What's interesting here is, he says, is that everybody wants a transformation. Everybody wants to change. Everybody wants a radical improvement, one rapid success. But we fail to realize that small habits and little choices are transforming us every day already. The ripples are already in the fabric of your life and mine. So today I wanna to talk about one decision. I wanna talk about one shift, one pivot, one commitment, one step in one particular direction that may seem insignificant in some of the moments of your life, but you cannot overestimate the consequences of the ripple that may ensue because of that decision. That even in life's chaos, and even in the midst of the unpredictable, the uncontrollable, the unexpected, if you can make this commitment, this change, this pivot, and live your life in this one particular direction, it could absolutely change everything beyond our ability to fully appreciate. And I'm talking about making a decision to pursue peace. I'm talking about a commitment to make peace. I'm talking about a way of life where you seek to build peace, establish peace, protect peace. I'm talking about one pivot because this is not a major decision. This is just one small decision after another. You say, why are we talking about this today? Because peace is at the heart of the Christmas story. Uh, you, you know this, you've heard these verses all your life. When the prophet Isaiah predicted the coming savior, the coming king, the coming you know, Messiah, uh, when he looked into the future and what would happen 700 years later, uh, Isaiah the prophet referred to the coming Messiah as the prince 
of peace, the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Fast forward to the New Testament when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and we're gonna talk about this in a couple of weeks, but when the angels showed up and talked to the angels or talked to the shepherds out in the field on the plains of Bethlehem, uh, the angels were heard saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, talk to me, peace, goodwill towards men. The birth of Jesus, the predictions around Jesus' birth, whether it's the prophet Jeremiah who talked about the king of peace that one, one, would one day come. Uh, the birth of Jesus had always been associated, the arrival of the Messiah had always been associated with the arrival of peace. And this peace would be a gift. This peace would be an offering to a world in the midst of chaos. It would be a gift of peace in the midst of a world that was full of unrest and full of, full of people who were unsettled for so much of their life and so much of their time here on this planet. Uh, matter of fact, when you read the Christmas story, uh, if you pull out far enough and you put on a wide angle lens and you just kind of take the Christmas story as it truly is, the events of the first Christmas are taking place against the backdrop of chaos. Everything that's going on in the backdrop of the Christmas story, it's chaos. It's the unpredicted, it's the uncontrollable. Uh, it wasn't a silent night when Jesus showed up. There was violence in the air. Uh, there was a public scandal of an unwed pregnancy. Uh, there was whispers and plans and desire for divorce. Uh, there's upended plans. Uh, there's accusations of treaty. There's plans of murder. There's unexpected outcomes, unwanted threats. Uh, there's emotional commotion. Uh, there's a dark drama that's taken place all around this Christmas story. And it's dark. I mean, it's really dark. Uh, there's such turbulence that a lot of the things that are happening, uh, both in the primary story and the larger story. It, it's really beyond anybody's control. So much, just like today, you, you think about everything going on in the world, how much is really within our control? Yeah, here in the United States of America, we live in a democratic republic and we can vote, but how much control does that really give us? We can protest, we can complain, we can fret and we can worry, but at the end of the day, how much control does that really give us? Not to mention the lack of control that we have in the far-flung parts of this world. We don't have very much control. So we can fret and we can fear, but at the end of the day, we just don't have that much control. And you say, well, what does all of this mean? Because there was so much happening in that story and it was all happening in the shadows of Rome's merciless oppression and Herod's maniacal and malevolent reign of terror. And in the, in the back scenes of all of that, the Christmas story's taking place and it's all chaotic. And all these ripples are in the fabric of people's lives and there's nothing that they can do to really control it. And you say, well, what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for me today? It means look around and just pay attention to the anger, to the animus, to the angst, to the fear, to the fret, to the frustration, to the bitterness, the resentfulness, the discontentment. And you know what all of that is? When you listen to the news and you read, you know, the newspaper or you watching news online or wherever you get your information, it's all just a reminder that we live in a world today just as much as the world existed at the first Christmas, a world that is in search of and hungry for and thirsty for peace. That's what it's a reminder of. We're reminded every day that we live in a world that needs peace. And maybe, just maybe, there's reminders in your life that you need peace as well. 
Because so many of us, maybe you, maybe a lot of us, we have our endless wrestling matches with insecurity. Our insecurities, which in the end do exactly the opposite of what we ultimately desire. We end up pushing away the people that we want close. That's what insecurity does. Insecurity turns our friends into foes. Insecurity ends up leaving us all alone when that's the last thing that we wanna do. But so many of us, that's our struggle, that's our battle, and it has been for years. And you know what it is? It's a reminder that we lack peace. Some of us, it's that persistent lack of confidence. And because of it, there's ripples across the fabric of your life and mine. And because of it, it's an echo, it's a reminder that there's peace lacking in my life. Uh, there's, a there's a reluctance for some of us to relinquish the lingering hurts from our past and we hold on to them and we nurse them and we put them in our pocket and we pet them and we feed them and they keep growing and they grow and they grow and we just hold on to all these hurts and we walk around hurt. And it's a reminder that we lack peace. Some of us, we got anxiety that we can't shake off. I'm not talking about chronic or medical diagnosed things. I'm just talking about anxiety that's down there on the common you know, place and planes of life. The fear, the anger, the unrest, the unsettledness of your soul and your mind, all of that stuff is just a reminder. It's a whisper. Sometimes it's shouting to us. There's peace lacking in your life. There's peace lacking in my life. And this peace that the world is looking for, this peace that oftentimes we're looking for, it's at the very heart of the story of Christmas and at the very heart of the meaning of Christmas. It's also at the very heart of the ministry and the message of Jesus. After Bethlehem, when Jesus is now an adult male and he launches his public ministry over and over again, Jesus, you remember this, Jesus would call his followers to resist certain emotions. When Christians talk about, you know, people are just preaching psychology, I never understand why that it scores cheap points with people. Of course, there's a psychological element to our faith. If there's not a psychological element to our faith, then what good is our faith? If our faith doesn't have physical implications, psychological implications, social implications, then what good is our faith at the end of the day? Jesus called us to resist certain emotions and certain ways of thinking. The insinuation is that I do have an element of control over how I think, and you do have an element of control about how you feel. So over and over again, Jesus would say, I want you to resist and reject things like worry. Don't worry. Don't be afraid, even if there's something to be afraid of. Don't give over to anxiety. Don't give over to arrogance. Don't give over to comparing yourself against somebody else to decide how good or how bad you are. Don't give yourself over to self-righteousness and look down on people. Don't give yourself over to bitterness or unforgiveness because Jesus knew those were the very things that are toxic to peace. Those are the very things that undermine peace. So Jesus would call us to reject that way of feeling and to reject that way of thinking. And so Jesus looks at his followers and this is what he says in John 14. He says, I am leaving you with a gift, with a gift. You don't have to earn this. You don't have to work for this. I'm, I'm giving you a gift and it's peace. It's peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give because the world doesn't have it to give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I, I like the way the New International Version says it. Peace I leave with you. Jesus says, my peace, 
I give you. What belongs to me, what starts with me, what originates with me, I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And and this peace, it's an echo of the Old Testament shalom, the prince of peace. It it, it speaks of wholeness, harmony, well-being, alignment in such a way that it brings fullness of life. It brings a health to life. It, It brings a peace of both mind and soul. And again, it's multidimensional. It's a multidimensional peace, a multidimensional rest. It's physical. When you're at peace, you know what you do? You rest better. You sleep better. Your blood pressure lowers. Your breathing rate lowers. There's physical implications to this. It's psychological. It affects how you think and how you feel. It's social. It gets outside of you. And it begins to ripple throughout society, throughout the immediate culture of your family, the immediate culture of your friendships and the connections at work. It's relational. And in the end, it's spiritual. And what Jesus says is very striking. My peace I give to you. It's a gift. It's striking. It's stunning. It's profound. But knowing when he said it, That makes it even more striking. That makes it even more profound. That makes it even more relevant to what we're talking about because Jesus said this on a Thursday night. They said, well, what's the big deal about Thursday night? This was the Thursday night before he's crucified on Friday. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples celebrating Passover. He's standing. He is standing in the very epicenter of chaos and the ripples are already in the fabric of his life and already in the fabric of the disciples' lives and they don't even know it. He's in the epicenter of chaos that's gonna lead to his death, his suffering, his crucifixion. Yet, here's Jesus talking about his peace as a gift. Jesus has not lost composure. Jesus is calm. Jesus is collected. Jesus is not falling apart. He's not controlled by his circumstances. He's not controlled by thoughts he can't rein in. Consequently, he's not controlled by emotions he can't rein in. He's standing right in the face of what's unfolding and what's unfolding is unwanted. It's unsettling. In many ways, it's uncontrollable, but yet he's settled. He's steadfast. He is overcoming his circumstances. His circumstances are not overcoming him. And he says, as I stand in the shadows of the cross, the thing that I'm thinking about most is giving you a gift, a gift of peace how to stand strong and be resilient, how to maintain your wits, how not to spiral out of control and get so triggered that you set off ripples in the fabric that you have no idea what those small actions, small reactions, what they may lead to somewhere down the line. Jesus says, I wanna give you a gift of how to have peace in the very midst of chaos because peace is not the absence of chaos. It's peace right in the middle of chaos. And here's the point. The peace Jesus had is the peace that you can have. Do you know what should bother us? How many whiny Christians there are in the world? It should bother us. How many worrisome, fretting, fearful, the world is ending. Yes, yes, it is. I thought you knew that. I I thought that was something we were looking forward to. I I thought that that was something we had hope for. But I mean, how many Christians are just spiraled out of control? I mean, just in so many different ways. 
Jesus is talking about a peace that allows us to stand right in the face of the worst that life can throw at us because we have no promise that life will not throw its worst at us. Many of us, one day we will face our worst nightmare. It will come true. For some of us, it won't. For some of us, it will. For some of us, one day, we will open the door to our worst case scenario. The thing that we dreaded. And Jesus says, I'm giving you a gift for that moment. And I'm giving you a gift for all the moments in between that you can have peace in the midst of that chaos where you can keep your wits and not forfeit the fullness of your life, even in the midst of what you can't control, even in the midst of what's unfolding that is so unsettling and so troubling, even in the face of people you can't control, situations you can't control, a world that you can't control. I'm offering you a gift where you do not have to lose your emotional equilibrium, where you can be at rest in your heart and in your mind. A peace that gives you an inner calm, that keeps you and keeps me from falling apart when everything around us is falling apart. That keeps us at a state of rest, even when we are in the middle of unrest. It keeps us settled when things get unsettled. This is his gift that makes us better at living life when life is tough. Again, listen, he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The world does offer peace, but it's a cheap substitute. It's temporary, it's fleeting. Hey, make your life as busy as possible where you don't have to think about anything. Make your life as superficial as possible so you can concentrate on all these things that doesn't matter so you never have to confront the things that really do. Develop some kind of dependency that numbs you, takes away the pain for a little bit of time, and then it just keeps on coming back. It comes back, it comes back, it comes back. Yeah, there's peace out there, but it's cheap and it's, it's temporary and it's just a substitute. But Jesus said, I wanna give you a gift that stays with you every step of the way, no matter what. Now, the New Testament takes this idea and, and teases it out. The Apostle Paul comes around and, and refers to this peace as the peace that transcends all understanding. The, the gift that Jesus gives, this peace, is the peace of God that transcends all understanding. That Paul said on a practical level, it guards your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. It, it carries the idea that when people see you going through the chaos, when, when people see you in the middle of that storm, they look at you and the calm that you have, the composure that you have, you're not triggered, you're not spiraled out, but they're perplexed by your composure, by your calm, by your quality of life, by your joy. They're just, they're perplexed by it. They don't understand it. They can't explain it, but you know what? They want it. They're watching, they're interested in it. They hope they can have something like that if they face something like you're facing. Paul says, this is how the peace that Jesus gives us work. It actually builds a fortress. It's a garrison around your heart and your mind. It guards you. It helps you hold at bay thoughts and emotions that undermine peace because we've already talked about. There are toxic emotions, toxic way, toxic way of thinking that undermines peace. And this, this garrison, this guarding, it keeps you and I from being hostages to the chaos. It keeps us steady, it keeps us balanced, it keeps us clear in our thinking. We're able to stave off worry and fret and fear and anger and bitterness and shame and all the things that creep in that rob us of peace. And it allows our minds to calm. 
It quietens our self-hatred for those of us who just constantly beat on ourselves. It leaves us at rest. It allows us not to live our lives angry at other people, looking down on them, judging them, you know, all the things. This is the gift from the Prince of Peace. This is why the angel said, this is the peace on earth. This is not a peace someday. This is a peace today. One day there will be peace everywhere in the perfect sense. Jesus will come again. He will set up his kingdom. He will be the prince and the king of peace in a kingdom of peace that will never end. But until then, there is peace today. Not someday, but today. You say, well, how do I get it? Well, he doesn't force it on you. It's a gift. It's a rhythm. It's a way of life. It's small changes, small decisions, small pivots. And those changes create ripples and those ripples create consequences. And those consequences become new realities. And those new realities can be for the good or those new realities can be for the bad. This is a peace that we choose. This is when we begin to act in the interest of peace. We become peacemakers. We offer peace. We sow peace. We pursue peace. We guard peace. We become a people of peace. We move in the direction of peace. This is how it works. Paul would tease it out a little bit more and he said, well, let me tell you a little bit more how this works. He says, if you're gonna do this, if you're gonna act in the interest of peace, get rid of all bitterness, wrath, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Because when those things are present, you know what's not present? Peace. He echoes this in another letter and he says, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language on your lips. Because when these things are present, peace is absent. Paul says following Jesus is a different way of life. It's a different rhythm. It's a different pursuit. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new perspective. It's a picture of, hey, you're taking off old clothes. Clothes are no longer in fashion. Clothes are no longer in style. Clothes are not fitting for this season of your life. You're a follower of Jesus, but now something's changed. Something has happened. And now you change clothes because the clothes that you wear, these clothes that maybe once upon a time you wore, these are the clothes that the culture wears. This is the closet of the world that we live in. When people go get dressed for their day, this is what they choose between. He says, if you're following Jesus, you gotta change your clothes. You gotta change your wardrobe. There's a new set of clothes to be put on. And you gotta get rid of things like bitterness. You know what bitterness is? It's rehearsing old hurt. That's bitter people. Let me tell you why they're bitter. They keep rehearsing old hurts over and over again. And they're just sour. And it stifles life. It stifles joy. The hurt leaves them harsh. And maybe some of you, you've been putting on those clothes for so long. You just put on that bitterness, you put on the bitterness and you think about him and you think about her and you think about them and you think about him and you think about her and you think about them. And you're just bitter, you're sour. It's time to change clothes. Rage and anger, always smoldering emotion right under the surface. And when the least little thing happens, you blow up. It wasn't what happened that blew you up. It's what you've never let go of that's caused you to blow up. Brawling, you just lose physical control. You throw things, you smash things, you hit things. Perhaps some of you, you hit people. But not so 
for those of us who are supposed to follow Jesus. Slander, hurtful words, demeaning people, undermining their reputation. Come on, it's time to change clothes. Those things just says, you know what? You don't have peace. Malice, malice, you know what malice is? I I want to see them hurt. I, I want to see them pay. And I'm gonna have joy when they do. You know what malice is? It's what's left over when you refuse to forgive. And some of us, it's time to change the closet. Filthy language, filthy language is not the curse words, cuss words uh, that we grew up with because, you know, I I remember asking my Sunday school teacher when I was about nine years old, uh, who gets to decide what the bad words are? She said, well, I don't know. I've never thought about it. And I said, oh, okay, okay, that's... My point's made then, I guess. Some of you never thought about that before. I'm sorry for ups- upsetting you, unsettling you this, this Christmas season. Some of you, you're going to go out today and just say some words you've never said before and be like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. This, this means filthy language means abusive words. That's what it is. You dig it in, dig down into the Greek. It's abusive words. It's words used as weapons. He says, you got you to change clothes. The, 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 these are clothes that people who have no peace wear. He says, but therefore as God's people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourself. Hey, you need to go shop for new clothes. Some of you, you hadn't heard anything I said until I said shop for new clothes. It's like, what? What? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, because you know what these clothes do? They bring you peace, compassion. You see people like Jesus sees them. I've told you before, you get so close to them, it's hard to hate up close. You hear their story, you begin to understand, well, yeah, if, if I were you, if I'd been there, if I'd gone through all, I probably, I probably would as well. Kindness, you just leak grace. You're so full of it. You just leak grace. You treat people better than they deserve. Humility, you know what humility does? Humility says, <laughs> I don't have a leg to stand on. I'm no better. I've done it too. I would probably do the same thing. Probably have. What right do I have to condemn you? Gentleness, I'm gonna deal softly with you because you're valuable. Patience, I'm slow to anger. I'm gonna be slow to anger. I'm gonna think twice about speaking once. Some of you, if you don't write that down on ink on your hand right now through the holiday season, I'm gonna think twice before I speak once. Patience is, you may not be who I want you to be today, but I'm gonna go at your pace. You're not ready yet. You're not there yet, that's okay. If you need to slow down, I'm gonna walk with you. I'm gonna be there. Paul says, this is what we learned from Jesus. This is how God in Christ Jesus treated us. And no, don't miss this. We received these things freely. So Paul's point is, if you're gonna follow Jesus, how can you demand that anybody else in your life earn the things that God gave you freely? It is. How can we demand that people earn our compassion, our kindness, our humility, our gentleness, our patience? We received it from God through Christ freely. What does that make me if I make you earn it? Or I demand that you meet certain conditions in order to receive it. Paul goes on, he says, bear with then each other, forgive one another. And if anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as, just as, take your cue from, model, follow, 
forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know what Paul does? Paul points us to the cross. And he says, when you're not sure how to treat them, when you're not sure how to respond to them, turn your eyes to the cross and be reminded of how God treated you. And then turn away from the cross and look them in the eye and you do for them what God did for you. And you know what he did for me? What he did for you, he released me from my debt. He knows what I did. He didn't hold it against me. He doesn't bring it up. He doesn't throw it in my face. That's not what he does. Forgiveness, it's not saying that they didn't do wrong. Forgiveness isn't having to have reconciliation. Forgiveness is letting them out of the prison, so to speak. It's letting them go. It's allowing yourself to move on. Well, say, I don't wanna forgive. Well, you're not forgiving them because they deserve it. God didn't forgive you because you deserve it. Don't forgive them because they deserve it. Give them forgiveness because you deserve the peace, the gift that Jesus gave to you. Why would you disqualify yourself from that peace by holding on to that unforgiveness? And he says, and above all and overall, put these virtues and above those virtues, put on love, which binds them all together because it all flows out of love. And then he says this, this this is where he ends it. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, as followers of Jesus, as the church, you were called to peace. You have been given a gift that you keep giving to everyone else. And it is a gift that we can offer to the world. So what does it mean to let the peace of Christ rule in our heart? It's, it's having, it's being at peace with God. That we are born into this world, according to the scriptures, separated from God. That Christ came, stood in the gap, became the bridge builder so that men and women and boys and girls who were not right could be right with God in spite of not being right because Jesus was right. And he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He forgave us. And not only are our sins forgiven, but they're forgotten and he's never gonna use them against us. And we're justified by our faith. Therefore, we have peace with God, just as if we never sinned, just as though we'd always obeyed. And you know, when you grasp that, when I grasp that, when I think about that, when I can hold on to that, there is peace in that. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. There's peace in not waking up having to earn his approval or earn his love or earn the seat at the table that Jesus bought for me and for you. There's peace in that. Letting the peace of Christ rule in our heart, it's having peace with others. It's forgiving, it's letting it go, it's moving on. It's releasing them from the debt. And letting the peace of God rule in our hearts is having peace with ourselves. Stop regretting what can't be changed. And stop, please, please. And I, I, I wanna take my own medicine. Please, let's all, for those of us 
this hits right between the eyes. Please, let's stop trying to make ourselves pay for what Jesus already paid for. Why are you trying to work off a debt that doesn't exist? Forgive yourself and live. Stop holding against you what God doesn't hold against you. It's covered, it's forgiven, it's forgotten. He doesn't keep score. Don't keep score because the good news is you've already won. Christ won and shared the victory with you and with me. When the peace of Christ rules and reigns in our hearts, we have peace with God, that's vertical. We have peace with others, that's horizontal and we're at peace with ourselves, that's inward. So how do I know if I'm allowing the peace of God to reign in my heart? I know I'm at peace with God. I've placed my faith in Christ Jesus as my savior, Messiah and King. He did for me what I could not do for myself. I am right with God, not because of who I am or what I did, but because of what Christ did and who he is. There is vertical peace with God. I'm at rest. I know my eternity is secure. I know my past is forgiven. I know that my present, God is with me and he is for me. I have peace horizontally. I don't have a list of people that I'm grudging against. There's nobody that I harbor bitterness towards. There's nobody that I can think of that needs forgiveness from me that I have not offered it. That's peace out there with others horizontal and then it's peace with myself that's when the peace of Christ reigns in our heart that's when we have embraced the gift of peace so here's my question to you all of us what is required in your life in order to allow the peace of Christ to rule in your heart this season and all the seasons to come For some of you, come on, let's get honest. You've not let it go. You've not let it go. You can't stop thinking about it. A day or two, three days, four days will go by and then it just comes on back again. You see something, you hear something, you bump into somebody and there it is, it's all over again. And there's just, you need to forgive. You need to let it go, let it go and choose to keep letting it go. Choose to keep letting it go and move on. Forgive that person who abandoned you. Forgive that person who hurt you. Forgive that dad that wasn't there, that mom who didn't care. Forgive that family member who hurt you in a way that you could never imagine hurting anybody. There's peace on the other side of that forgiveness. There's peace on the other side of letting it go. For some of you, forgive yourself. Let yourself off the hook. Stop beating yourself perpetually up. Stop trying to crucify yourself and be your own savior because your own savior, he's already been crucified. He already took care of it. Maybe peace for some of us is adopting a new perspective, seeing the world different, thinking different, a new perspective that says, you know what, I know I know that beneath these ashes, there's beauty. I know that beyond the darkness, there's light. And I know in the midst of all the bad, God's gonna turn it for good. And I'm gonna think that way. I'm gonna embrace it. I'm gonna practice my life as though those things are true because I believe they are. And remind yourself, 
that the peace of God, it is the promise of God. It is the gift of God. And when you face the chaos of life, just fall upon the promises of God, every single one of them, because peace isn't a matter of how hard you try. It's a matter of how much I trust. And the more I place my trust in God, the more he places his gift of peace in me. The more I align my thoughts around what's ultimate reality, what's ultimately true, the more peace is formed in my framework, my perspective, my emotional grid, and it begins to ripple itself all the way out through life. He's promised that the good will come out of the bad. He's promised that if you sow, you'll reap. He's promised that if you cast your cares upon him, he will sustain you. He's promised that his grace is sufficient for you. He's promised that when you cry out, he hears you. He's promised that he's with you and he's for you. He'll never abandon you. He'll never forsake you. He's promised that you're already forgiven, that your heavenly home is secure and the kingdom of God is your eternal resting place, a place with no disease and no sin and no disappointment and no failures. That's your ultimate reality. If you want this season to be truly wonderful, then let's choose to be peaceful, full of peace, aligning our lives in the direction of peace, taking steps to pursue peace, to maintain peace, to make peace, to cultivate peace, to sow peace, to protect peace, knowing that in the midst of the chaos, when you get down to the places that only one day you'll be able to see, there was predictability in the chaos. There was beauty in the chaos. And there was meaning in the chaos. The chaos has a story to tell of how there can be peace right in the midst chaos that's inevitable in life. Heavenly Father, for those of us who lack this gift, let us reach out and receive it. To turn our eyes in the direction of peace, to tune our hearts towards peace, to take steps towards peace, to speak words of peace, to think thoughts of peace, God, to do whatever we can to live out the peace that you've given us, knowing that the ripples, that those small adjustments, those small changes, the ripples could change everything, could change the trajectory of things. So Father, we trust your promise and receive your gift of peace. And as we sit together, I pray that we'll wrestle with the question, what is required of me right now in this moment, this season? What is required of me to allow the peace of Christ to reign in my life? What do I need to do? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to move on from? What is required? Speak to us, Holy Spirit. 
as we listen to this song and hear your voice in Jesus' name. And everybody said,